Okay, welcome to this festive edition of CineLit. Uh, my name is Adam Marsh and I'm joined as ever by my co-hosts, Rebecca Taylor. Hi. And Daryl Buxton. Hi, everyone. Uh, so we're back again for Christmas. It's been an odd year to launch a podcast. <laughs> I'm assuming we usually thought that we would be doing some sort of best films of 2020 um, at this time, this time of the year. Now we will be looking at some of the biggest hits in cinemas for the last 2020. But it's been an odd year, and I think one for the uh, one for the archives. I think um, so. We're going to do Christmas movies instead because um, who needs cheering up more than the world at this moment? So we're going to. Have a little delve into some of our favourite Christmas movies and a bit of a chat over some maybe some hidden gems and maybe some things that you don't necessarily think are Christmas movies, but maybe will become your favourite. So Christmas movies, guys, are we fans or not fans? <laughs> well, I, I must admit, Adam, I'm a bit of a Mrs. Scrooge on that. Um, so, yeah, I have a small selection of Christmas films I like to watch, but on a whole, I'm not a fan of Christmas films. Okay, Daryl, what's your take on Christmas movies? Yeah, I love Christmas and I do like Christmas films, but I tend to sort of go for the films that are set at Christmas rather than the ones that fully embrace Christmas. So anything that has got people in the background doing their Christmas shopping while a, a heist or a sort of argument between a couple or something is going on in the foreground is more my sort of forte. You know, I like the drama to be up front and the Christmas to be sort of in the background somewhere. Okay, well, it looks like I am designated the fun Christmas fun guy then, aren't I? I am the guy who <laughs> loves Christmas movies and uh, fully enjoys and embraces the sentimentality and uh, cheesiness of Christmas movies. Like, they get a pass, a big fat pass from me every year. Um, I do love them, apart from Love Actually, obviously. That goes without saying, I think. Terrible, terrible film. So, yeah, so well, let's, let's have some... some um, obviously, one of the big discussions over the last few years uh, has been one of my favourite Christmas movies uh, on whether it actually qualifies as a Christmas movie, and that's Die Hard. So what's people's takes on Die Hard as a Christmas movie? I have to make a confession, Adam. I've never seen Die Hard. Oh, ooh. Oh. Rebecca, Rebecca. <laughs> oh. And Quad puts on the Die Hard and Die Hard 2 double bill so often at Christmas. <laughs> Every year for about 10 years, I think. Um, it's, it's, we've, we've sometimes flirted with a Die Hard lethal weapon double bill at Christmas. Both of those that, that'd work, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it, kind, it kind of worked, but lethal weapon's a bit of a downer, to be honest. It's, it's not, yeah, it's not yeah. the, the happiest of uh, a film, unlike you know, the, the mass mass slaughter and killings of Die Hard. Nothing's more festive than shooting terrorists in an airport, you know. So we kept with Die Hard too. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, Die Hard has been, has been, Die Hard was always on my, one of my favourite films is growing up. And I don't think I ever really pegged it as a Christmas movie in, in a sense of like, oh, I must watch this at Christmas, kind of Christmas. I watch it all year round, you know, and I think, I think it was released during the summer when it was actually released. So I think it was a Christmas film release. So it's only like in the last 10, 15 years where it's become embraced as a Christmas movie. And with us showing it in the cinema every year at Christmas, it's become part of my Christmas tradition um, to go to watch Die Hard and possibly Die Hard 2 at Christmas. Um, so it's, it's, it's developed that tradition and that fondness and that connection to Christmas. But 
it is a Christmas film and it's in its plot, you know, it's a storyline. It's set at Christmas. It's uh, got Christmas as part of the actual mechanics of the plot. It's not just it's not just in the background while the film's happening. The reason why it's happening is because it's at Christmas. They they have Christmas songs all the way through it. They have connections to Christmas. The the the, the finale has got a connection to Christmas as well. Then you know the the, the actual. I'm trying not to spoil it now for Becky. You now this is really <laughs> the, the finale. The, the the end of the movie has a connection to Christmas as well. So it has got those links to Christmas in my mind. Qualifies as a Christmas movie. So and special bomb. <laughs> But yeah, this this is what I was talking about with my preferences earlier, uh, Adam. It's uh, as you say, it's it's the Christmas theme movie that you can release in July. So right up my street, you know, uh, you can watch it any time of year. It works any time you see it, any any time of of year, any season. But there's something special about it when you watch it at Christmas. Uh, the the theme really then kicks in. So, uh, and it's that type of movie that I I sort of prefer to ones about Santa Claus and his elves and people buying Christmas presents. As you say, let's let's shoot some terrorists. <laughs> yeah, what's more Christmassy than that? <laughs> <laughs> I do find I do find it fascinating that sort of like like nowadays if you make a Christmas movie you will release it at Christmas. You know if you got something set at Christmas, an action movie, a comedy, or whatever, you would release it probably mid November to get an initial run of, of of ticket sales in in November and then a, a second wave of ticket sales for the second run December. You know people want to see closer to Christmas. Whereas, like, that wasn't always the case. I, mean, I was looking back at some of my favourites. Gremlins is one of my favourites. And that was released slap bang in the summer in America. It was released at Christmas over here, but it was released slap bang in the middle of the summer. It was a summer blockbuster <laughs> in many ways. Uh, and that's ridiculously Christmassy in the sense of, like, snow, small town America, snow everywhere. It's, it's a wonderful life with monsters, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it came out uh, came out at the same time as Ghostbusters, didn't it? Mm. And uh, um, I remember over here, Ghostbusters seemed to come out just a, a couple of weeks before Christmas, and then Gremlins, I think, was was sort of bang on, or, or I, I don't think it actually played sort of locally until after Christmas. I remember seeing it January '85, so uh, right. uh, so even even then, it miss, it missed the boat by eleven and a half months. Then you know. Yeah, weird, really. But as you say, it was a summer blockbuster in the States. And um, and that wasn't really sort of commented on. You know, it was just the norm. Mm. Well, well, when, when, do, when do we think the first, first sort of like, we're going to make this for Christmas and we're going to cash in on Christmas by releasing this film at Christmas and being a Christmas film? Was that, I mean, was that inherent all the way through cinema? I, I think it probably didn't really start happening till af- until after that mid-80s period. I think something like um, the, the Dudley Moore Santa Claus was, was um, one of the first. Not, not a great one to start with, oh, really. It's a shocker, it, isn't it? If, if, yeah, yeah. If, if you're trying to set that tradition of releasing films at Christmas for Christmas, what a one to start with, you know. But I remember watching that as a kid and loving it, and then watched it again. I thought, well, I'll watch it again, maybe show it Rowan. Um, and and I'm sat watching it and thinking, God, this is 
this is awful. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to suspend disbelief. I'm happy to put aside naffness. You know, Howard the Duck is one of my favourite movies. I'm happy to put those things aside. But this was just, it was just too far. It was just awful. <laughs> Have you seen that one, Becky? No, I was going to say, yeah, I, don't didn't realize it, I didn't realise it even existed. So. Yeah, Santa Claus the movie. Um, and John Lithgow was the villain, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't all bad. It had some good points to it. But yeah, it was pretty bad, pretty bad. Um, obviously, Scrooge came out in 88. That yeah, was so very, designed, very soon after, yeah, yeah. So that was designed as a Christmas movie vehicle for Bill Murray. What's interesting about Scrooge is that it's it's become... Um, as Becky was saying earlier about how you you were saying how your dad watches Scrooge without the D, but me and Adam sort of jumped in and said, "Oh, you mean the Alistair Sim version?" And you said, "Oh, no, no, the Albert Finney, the musical." <laughs> and um, and I think um, when Scrooge came out with Bill Murray, I think that's a sign that every generation sort of has its own version of a Christmas Carol that it sort of focuses on. Because there are a lot of people who love Scrooge who mm. maybe don't know about the films that have came before. That's, that, that, yeah, it's, just, it's an odd one because it is, it is um, in some ways, it's very 80s Scrooge. You know, it's about, yeah. you know, greed, greed is good, the 80s Wall Street thing. It's very much that. But, you know, have a look at yourself, mate. You know, it's, it's not the way to live, is it? Being evil and horrible, you know, turn over a new leaf, it's Christmas. I find it interesting that. We're talking about a lot of American films here. Like, mm. definitely America's the one for Christmas. But Becky, if you want to chat about the Nativity movies, uh, I'm, I'm happy to turn it over <laughs> yeah, to oh, you. No. You can yeah. chat all the way through the Nativity One, Nativity Rocks, <laughs> Nativity Where's My Donkey. You know, um, I'm more than happy for you to watch all those movies and come back and report to us. <laughs> yeah, but it's like in that time, it was a, sort of a formula that they had to have a big house. Yeah, it's like with the Home Alone films, I think like the house is absolutely massive. And it's just, yeah. it's a very, Amer like Americans are good at Christmas because it's all about consumerism and everything. So yeah, it's interesting you say, I haven't seen Scrooge, but um, yeah, it's interesting that you said that. Yeah, in some ways Scrooge is a little bit out of step of that kind of, um, you know, like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Home Alone, yes. those kind of ones where, they live in, in fairly big houses and have big family. I mean, the, the house in Home Alone is, it is ridiculous, really. I mean, I've watched it again this year with my son. And every time I watch it, the more I sit thinking, like, he's got to be like an accountant for the mafia or something like that. Because, yeah. like, yeah, how is it? I mean, because in the movie, in the Home Alone film, they keep mentioning things like, we, we're not very rich. We know my, my, my brother's paid for these first, first class fights for us to go over to France for Christmas. They're making all these, obviously, it sounds like an accountant, you know, like, well, you know, it's, it's my brother paid for these tickets. Uh, the, <laughs> the wife is in my, the house is in my wife's name. You know, it's all these different, like, things where it's just like, I, you're, you're a mafia accountant, aren't you? That's, that's how you've got a house that big. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, ridiculous. Yeah, well, the the genes have obviously passed down to the children, who, which is, which is why Macaulay's so sort of devious and and so keen to sort of exert violence on other people, I guess. Exactly. Well, you know, you go against the king. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Two wet, uh, what is it, wet bandits, they're called the wet bandits. They going up against Macaulay Culkin. You're going up against yeah. the mafia, kid. <laughs> but what I saw say about Scrooge was like, it obviously was very relevant in the 80s, perhaps not the message people wanted to hear in the, in the 80s, where it was where consumerism, capitalism was running rife, you know. Um, but arguably still massively relevant today. I think that's one of the joys of the Christmas Carol story full stop you know it's it's relevant ever since it was written don't over be miserable but don't be miserable but also don't be horrible <laughs> and miserly and, and and manipulative and horrible yeah ultimately don't be horrible you know <laughs> yeah and that's a universal message don't be horrible yeah i i always wonder if there are people on on one side of the political spectrum who watch scrooge or watch a christmas carol and sort of root for ebenezer you know and uh I, yeah. I, I don't I don't believe that. But and are and are upset by the end of the film. He was just he was just trying when to make he, a living. He loses. Yeah. <laughs> I I love a Christmas carol. Um, but I always think, was it gonna last? Is it gonna last? You know, Christmas Day Box Day. And then after that, forget that. I'm gonna get Bob Cratchit back in. <laughs> yeah, in the new year, he cuts his hours, you know, cuts yeah. his hours, you know, it makes him redundant, you know. <laughs> Yeah, we, we need. This is what we need—a a sequel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Christmas Carol two, austerity era. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe some someone will look through some old drawers or something in a big mansion somewhere and find some old Charles Dickens papers where he actually wrote the follow-up, and it just changed the whole thing. I think it's one of those one of those joys of of cinema is the, the great things about cinema in general is that when you watch a film, is seeing yourself on screen and watching a film where you think, oh, God, that could be me, or, or even an aspirational aspect where you think, oh, that could be me in the future, you know? Whereas I think well, with miserable. Christmas Carol... Well, no, no, I just meant, like, I just meant in, in general. But, like, uh, things like Christmas Carol, I don't think people look at that film and, and see themselves in Ebenezer, even if they are a total Scrooge. They don't see themselves. They, they always see themselves... As the nice person, as the nice, even the most evil person in the world, will look at that movie and 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 side with Tiny Tim and Bob Cratchit. Yeah, mm. identify with the good guys. Yeah, yeah. Donald yeah. Trump is watching that movie, and, and 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 going, well, of course you should buy the biggest turkey for the Cratchit family. I I would do the same. It's like, <laughs> yeah, um, okay, not sure. <laughs> Like moving on, moving on to some of the Gary, you were talking about films that you like that are set at Christmas, but are not necessarily Christmas movies. Now, programming a cinema every year at Christmas and having to and, and liking Christmas and enjoying Christmas and wanting to put on a, an interesting buffet of cinema at Christmas. I found over the like 10, 12 years of programming in Derby that you can program lots of Christmas films, but ultimately. Ultimately, there's a cabal of about seven or eight films that will actually draw an audience at Christmas. And you're talking like Die Hard, you're talking Home Alone, you're talking Elf, you're talking It's a Wonderful Life, obviously, the Brennan Elf, Muppets Christmas Carol. Um, you know, there's, there's only a handful. You can go outside of that and show things like um, The Bishop's Wife, the Cary Grant movie. Uh, you could show that, but no one turns up for it. You could even show some of the old musicals and they don't tend to do that well um you know white christmas and things like that um and the, the judy garland one which has a section um set at christmas um meet me in st louis yeah so you we've shown that previously 
you know, they, 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 they do all right. But ultimately, people want to see Die Hard. They want to see Home Alone. They want to see Elf. They want to see It's a Wonderful Life. You know, why do you think we, we are not as expansive with our habits at Christmas? I think people like comfort, really. And I think um, we've been talking a lot about A Christmas Carol already. And um, I think A Christmas Carol sort of sets the template for everything you need in a Christmas film. And uh, there have been a lot of remakes of it, a lot of versions of it. There have been a lot of sort of spin-offs of it that sort of, you know, imitate the story with, with, with its own version of the characters. But even films that don't seem to be linked to A Christmas Carol, use the trappings of it quite often. And I think it's 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 that sort of comfort zone that people like, as, as Becky was saying, things like The Big House, and um, you've always got to have snow in Christmas movies. When, when does it ever snow at Christmas? <laughs> but, you know, there's always snow in the movies at Christmas. And, uh, well, people in Hollywood have heard of this thing called snow. Um, <laughs> They realise they recognise it as a, as a, as as it is important. They don't know what it is, but you know they recognise it important. They just have they don't have weather over there. They just have sunshine. Yeah. So I think all this sort of helps to identify what people actually see as a Christmas movie, and um, and I think that's what people want. You know, they want that sort of coziness. They want that comfort, and they want to feel good at the end of it. You know. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like what Adam said as well. You're not looking for a, particularly a masterpiece at Christmas. You just want something that's going to make you feel warm inside, and, you know, just cosy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's what, I mean, obviously there's been a few um, attempts at making horror films set at Christmas and you know, there's, a, there's a relatively increasingly, yeah, increasing. Yeah. yeah. But none of them seems to ever make much money. And if they do, they don't tend to make money because of the Christmas. Yeah, there was the big controversy in America in the mid-80s when a film called Silent Night, Deadly Night came out and it was mm. all about a killer Santa. And um, it caused more outrage and more protests, particularly from sort of women's groups and parents' groups, than any other horror film of its time. And um, it was just suppressed in the States and it was sort of vilified. And I think there was this huge reaction against it. It's like, you can't do that to Christmas, you know. And, um, I mean, it's it's continued. It, it had a sequel a couple of years later. And I've watched the sequel this Christmas, this week, actually. Yeah, it, the 40 minutes of new footage were interesting. <laughs> the 40 yeah. minutes that were lifted from the first film uh, and dumped in wholesale as a flashback, 40-minute flashback, was uh, was an interesting decision. I know, yeah. That's that's how to do it on the cheap, how to make part yeah. two on the cheap. But the, the point is that um, the first movie was almost buried, you know, by this wave of protest, but it survived, it continued, and there have since been a number of sequels. So, uh, but that initial controversy, I think, showed how certain sections of America, and as I say, it seemed to be sort of parents groups in particular, 
um, who seemed to be under the impression that their their four-year-old and five-year-old kids were going to go out and see this thing. <laughs> well, the thing is, the problem in America, you can, can't you? Well, I guess you know, so. Yeah, you can just yeah. take it, that and, adult, take the kid in with him, boom, you started, no problem, yeah, you know. Yeah, and seeing Santa with an axe was going to sort of traumatise a generation for life. But uh, well, you know, he's got to clear the snow yeah. some way, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, just come down the chimneys and hold with all the snow on top of it. You know, you got he, he's, and he, didn't, he didn't have his brush and his, uh, his, his, his snow plow on the front of his um, sleigh. So he just picked up the axe. Oh, yeah. chop away the snow, no problem. Yeah, we did, we did have a British equivalent around that time. There were very, very few British slasher movies made in the wake of Halloween and Friday the 13th. It tended to be a sort of American and Canadian concern. And it never really translated into British cinema, apart from one film, and it was a Christmas film, Don't Open Till Christmas. And they ring the changes in Britain in this one. Um, it's incredibly cheaply made again, and it's an absolute disaster. There's a making of documentary, <laughs> like a behind the scenes documentary that is more dramatic than the film, but... Uh, um, in terms of directors coming and going and actors coming and going and all sorts. But um, uh, but the, the, the twist in this one is it's not Santa doing the murders, it's someone going out killing Santa Clauses, multiple ones. So uh, um, it's terrible, it's great fun, and... Um, we're not going to be able to show a Christmas horror film at Quad this year, but I think next time we do, we've got to put Don't Open Till Christmas high on the list. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we, we've shown we've shown a few Christmas horrors over over the years. We showed Christmas Evil, again a title begging begging to be to be to be made <laughs> into a film, wasn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah, um, and that's one of the great ones. Yeah, and that yeah. is a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but more recently, obviously, we've had Krampus. We've had the um, Scandinavian movie Rare Exports, yeah, which was um, very good. But none of these have none of these have been mass hits in the same way, and I think that maybe ties into what we've been talking about about people wanting comfort and wanting to feel good. I think good. so. Yeah, there's there's a sort of horror crowd that will go and see the, the Christmas horror films, but I don't think they translate much beyond that. Whereas you you make something like a new version of A Christmas Carol, or you do something like the Schwarzenegger film Jingle All the Way and things like that, and people were flooding to see that at Christmas. So, I think I think I was just a bit, a bit too old for Jingle All the Way, because when I watched that, I, mean, I watched it back again recently, and I think, this is like a glorified TV movie. <laughs> it's not, it's not good at all. That's what, that's what people seem to want. I've forgotten about it until you just mentioned it now. <laughs> They've got a flashback. Like, oh, yeah, go, go back to forgetting about it. I'm sure there's loads of people listening to this podcast now going, what? Jingle all the way. No, it's the greatest ever. <laughs> but yeah, I was less than impressed, I must admit. Yeah, I think that that is another thing with Christmas movies. Everyone's got their favourite. And I think there are these little cliques and little groups of people and little clumps of film fans who will single out something like Jingle all the way and defend it with their lives yeah well you know <laughs> if you have to fall to defend it's fine you know <laughs> you have to fall because you like jingle all the way then that's, go for it you go for it mate <laughs> so becky you're, you're obviously you apart from the ones that you grew up watching you're not generally a fan of christmas schmaltz and cheese and Feeling good at Christmas, Becky. You don't like to feel good at Christmas. Is that what it is? 
I'm more, I'm definitely more summer person, put it that way. But um, yeah, I just sort of have my classics and I'm kind of complacent, really. I don't really like to branch out. And I think it's the same with everything, like with music as well. Like I listen to the same songs as everyone does at Christmas time. Um, so yeah, my go-to films are always Elf, Home Alone and the Muppet Christmas Carol. And then sometimes I like the Jim Carrey animation Christmas Carol. Um, I watch really? that. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. that's an interesting one. I, do, I, I think it's just because I like the story of A Christmas Carol, I think. So hmm. I just like all the... I, I, I must admit, I hate that animation style because I, I, I couldn't get on board with it. I couldn't get on board. Eh? Eh? I couldn't get on board with the Polar Express either. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't like the Polar Express, though. Yeah. No, I'm with no. you on that one. Yeah, but, I think Tom yeah. Hank, Tom Hank's creepy, creepily animated is not is not. Yeah, it's say Christmas to me. Valley, yeah, yeah. 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 But I, I think I think the style did suit a Christmas Carol rather better, and I think they sort of enhanced it a little by then. You know, animation and computer generated stuff always gets better as time passes, and uh, even even six months or a year later, you know, that you can tell that the quality looks better. And I, I, I quite like that version of A Christmas Carol as well. And uh, I, I like Jim Carrey anyway, so... Uh... I think going into what you're talking about, people dying to defend. I mean, I'm a Muppets Christmas Carol guy, you know. I'm, I'm, I think he's oh, yeah, the, yeah. the closest, arguably the closest to a pure adaptation um, that we've had, bizarrely, you know. Um, yeah. it, it sticks fairly close to the original story, uh, whereas a lot of the other ones take, um, take liberties. Um, but the Muppets... Aside from a few tweaks, adding in Gonzo, um, which you know always adds twenty five percent to most movies. Um, yeah, add Gonzo to Citizen Kane is already it's even more of a masterpiece. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so maybe, maybe when that film came out, um, I, I was like, oh, I, we don't need another Christmas Carol. We've got a perfect Christmas Carol already. There's multiple perfect Christmas Carols. We don't need another one. I think that's the only Christmas film that I've seen in the cinema as well, like on its release. And I saw it on 3D. It was really good. I'm not a fan of 3D, but it was good sort of the, yeah, the effects, I would say, were really good. Yeah, they pumped a lot of money into that they, over over a course of about three or four movies. <laughs> Robert Zemeckis I, very publicly made his failures in, 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 in getting the animation right, I think, before he did Christmas Carol. Yeah. Uh, Polar Express being one of them. Yeah. So if there was one Christmas movie that you would recommend to people, obviously we've talked about the comfort ones, we've talked about, but if you want to maybe expand your horizons, go beyond the core seven or eight movies that everyone watches at Christmas, what, what would be the ones that you would pick out? Well, I'm, I'm going to mention two. Um, I, as I say, I sort of stray away from the, the trad Christmas stuff. The, I suppose the nearest I get to liking a film that people might regard as a traditional Christmas movie, and it isn't a traditional Christmas movie, Christmas movie at all, is um, Bad Santa from 2003. Oh, you see, I hated that. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> hated loved it. it. And I know I'm in the minority, a lot of people love that movie, but it's not a Christmas movie for a start. Even Which though people why, say it is. why I like it. It's not a Christmas movie because <laughs> underneath it all, it hates Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It's basically it's basically a, a, a an hour and a half rant troll of Christmas. Yeah. Now I love Christmas. I'm not into. <laughs> yeah. I really love Christmas, but I like movies that hate Christmas. 
and um, I, I think it's got a real sort of John Waters feel to it. It was directed by uh, Terry Zwigoff, who'd mm. uh, he'd made that film about R. Crumb, the uh, the sort of underground um, uh, comic artist uh, in the nineties, and he was a sort of associate of R. Crumb. And you can tell that in Bad Santa. You know, it's it's got that very um, uh, sort of misanthropic sort of feel to it you know in fact I've, uh, there's a quote from uh, the the script was offered to uh, universal pictures who turned it down uh, i think it, it was one of these scripts that did the rounds of hollywood and everybody turned it down before eventually someone stepped in and said yeah we'll make this you know um, but universal's rejection is great they said this is the most foul, disgusting, misogynistic, anti-Christmas, anti-children thing that we could possibly imagine. <laughs> Put that on the poster and I'm there, you know. Yeah, not for me, must admit. And maybe that ties into the feel-good thing. I even like Bad Santa 2, which nobody went to see, which came out <laughs> years later. So uh, give me those as a double bill and I'm happy. Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> I'd like to see him do more. See, I, I liked most of the elements of Bad Santa, but I think it was just underneath it all. I think when you watch, I, mean, I think when you watch a Christmas movie and it hates Christmas, ultimately, like The Grinch, you want to have that moment at the end where they realise that they're the problem. It's not yeah, Christmas's yeah. fault; they're the problem. And we didn't get that with Bad Santa. <laughs> it was just like, no, no, Christmas is horrible. It's rubbish, and and everyone should go home and not do it. So what you what you wanted, Adam, it was for Bad Santa to become a, a one of Good these. Good Santa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanted it to be one of these sort of Christmas Carol in disguise movies that I mentioned, and it is. I don't know what I wanted it to be, yeah, but I didn't want it to be what it was. Avoids doing that. The other film that I wanted to mention is actually a Christmas Carol in disguise. I'm going back to the early '60s and uh, Hammer Films, the home of uh, British horror movies stepped out of horror every now and then and made some really really good stuff and they did this film called cash on demand in 1961 which is um a movie about a bank robbery and um, it's a bank robbery that's mainly committed over the phone it's all to do with the bank manager having to make phone calls and stuff and there's that great bit at the start of pulp fiction where tim roth tells that story about uh, someone he knows who robbed who robbed a bank with a phone and it sort of harks back in a way to the plot of this movie cash on demand and you've got peter cushing giving his very very best performance ever in my view um playing the bank manager and he's um, very sort of controlling and looking for any excuse to get rid of his staff and, um, and really sort of run the bank to his own particular design and his own particular rules. And then suddenly there's this, this attempt at this bank robbery where um, someone calling themselves Colonel Gore Hepburn, um, played by Andre Morel, comes into the bank and makes Peter Cushing telephone his his house to find out um, that his wife is being held supposedly by an associate of the Colonel and, um, and that they've got to sort of deposit all the money from the bank in a certain place in order that his family will be released. And um, it's a great, really, really taut movie. It's all told in real time. Peter Cushing's absolutely marvellous in it. It's in black and white, very sort of stark, very austere. 
And then under the surface, you gradually begin to realize that the bank manager is Scrooge, the employee that he's trying to sack, who's worked at the bank for, for 50 years, is Bob Cratchit, and that the colonel is Jacob Marley. So, uh, yeah, I'd, cash on demand is one that I'd, I'd recommend. The sort of thing that might turn up on Talking Pictures TV, I think. So uh, yeah. look out for that. Um, that's my recommendation. That was put out on Blu-ray, wasn't it, recently, with the indicator box? Yeah, in, that indicator right? have done it, yes, yeah. Okay, so if you want to track that down, you can get it on Blu-ray in pristine quality for this Christmas, maybe. Maybe put it on your Christmas list, who knows? Definitely. Have you got anything, Becky, for us? Uh, Well, I was going to say, I think everyone has a sort of film that they watch at Christmas, and it might not necessarily be a Christmas film. For for me and my mum, ever since it was released, we love watching um, Silver Linings Playbook with uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's just that towards the end when they do the um the, the the dance and the famous scene when she she sort of runs out of the dance hall and he runs after her um and me and my mum we always watch that we sort of have a movie marathon every Christmas Eve into Christmas morning and that's always our last film so for me that's the ultimate Christmas film. But um, I remember talking to friends of mine and they said, oh yeah, we've got the same, you know, like there's one particular film that every family watches and it might not have any reference to Christmas in it, but you always yeah. watch it on Christmas. It's one of those things where I think a lot of it's shaming, particularly um, my generation and, and even more so Daryl's generation, is that a lot of it's shaped by what was on television at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think um, Wizard of Oz <laughs> yeah. has become a weirdly a weird Christmas movie now. It's yeah, just... and things like the Bond films are always associated with Christmas yes. and and the, the Great Escape and things like that, just because they 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 were on Christmas afternoon or Boxing Day or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and Empire Strikes Back because of the snow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I like I like films as well that that sort of aren't Christmas movies, but touch on Christmas in in maybe one or two scenes. Like, I mean, one, one of the big ones is The French Connection, where, you know, right at the start of the movie, you've got Popeye Doyle, Gene Hackman, dressed as Santa. He's on, he's, he's on some kind of stakeout or some kind of uh, undercover assignment, dressed as Father Christmas. <laughs> and I love that. And then Christopher Plummer in the movie The Silent Partner robs a bank dressed as Santa. It's not a Christmas movie, but he, he goes in dressed as Santa and robs a bank. So, uh, um, so yeah, I, I I really like those films that sort of play on that sort of uh, festive iconography, just in one just in one or two scenes, you know. I was just looking over sort of like Christmas movies and things like that, and I think I think we're onto something with the sort of like boom of the eighties, nineties, sort of like the Christmas fi- the Christmas film became much more of a. Of a, of a thing before before there was isolated cases here and there miracle on 34th street you know it's a wonderful life obviously those kind of things santa claus versus the martians you know those kind those kind of <laughs> one-offs <laughs> as it were but uh, it, it seems to really ramp up in the 80s and 90s doesn't it Definitely. i mean um and, and also you got weirdly sort of like um as much as we're watching a lot of the american movies and it's, it's very much an american and canadian thing some films just didn't come up i mean a christmas story is a really big uh, Christmas film in America, but it's barely made an impact over here. The Bob Clark 
movie from the early 80s yeah, yeah i think that's that's just about you talk to any american and they'll they'll mention that as as the Their christmas favorite. movie yeah, yeah 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 and and it, it's it, it's just nothing over here I no, think not at all. I've seen it, but it's it's not big. You know, it's not. No, I mean we 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 tried to screen it at quite a couple of years ago, uh, maybe a few years ago now, but it didn't get it didn't get much traction at all. You know, we had a handful of people come and see it, but nothing. The diehard Christmas fans, but nothing. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't have beyond that. Um, which is fascinating. It's a, good, it's a good movie, and I can see mm. why it's big in America. But yeah, it just doesn't travel. An interesting, interesting film as well. Just the, the director. Is it? I mean. We're talking your eclectic careers or moving where the money is or however you want to describe it. But Bob Clark, director of A Christmas Story, Black Christmas, Porkies. Porkies. You know? Did lots of horror films in the 70s, including Black Christmas, as you say. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Weird career, but... Uh... Very strange. But arguably he made two classic Christmas movies because Black Christmas, which we've not spoke about previously, arguably one of the forerunners of the slasher movie genre. Yeah, um, pre pre Halloween, yeah, pre Halloween, big influence yeah. on all that stuff that came along later. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, yeah, maybe we should be talking about Bob Clark more. Maybe do a podcast on him sometime. Yeah, he's, absolutely. I think he's, he's he's worth talking about. So I think it's interesting for me. What I when I think about the Christmas films I've seen, yeah, it seems like they're very late eighties, early nineties, and then it jumped to the early two thousands, and then you had. You had a cluster then. Now you very you now and again get a few. Like I think like, recently yeah. we've seen we're we're definitely seeing the impact of Netflix on the Christmas mm. movie. And I think in in a way in a similar way to um, I guess the Hallmark Channel. You know, yeah, yeah. if you think there's not been Christmas movies made in the last 15, 20 years you're not watching the Hallmark channel. They're making about 60 a year, you know. Yeah. Ready for and a, a lot of those that come over to the UK are getting to start getting shown on Channel 5 in about yeah. uh, mid, mid-September, mid you know, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then, then, then run, run through to January. So Yeah, uh, Mo- movies to wrap presents by, I think yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the umbrella. You don't have to worry too much about the plot because it's not <laughs> that heavy. Well, it's, all, it's always the same in every film. Yeah, wrap your presents. <laughs> if, if you if you jump back in towards the end of the second act, you won't have missed much. It's just stuff happening, and then we'll crack on to the finale. You know those kind of budgets. But I think Netflix have taken that style of um, that model of creating Christmas movies. Yeah, yeah. And added a bit of quality to it. So yeah. you've had things like obviously the Christmas Chronicles recently with uh, Kurt Russell uh, as Santa Claus, which was a, a riot and a good fun. And I think that would have been. I think that's going to become one of those. Uh, Christmas favourites going forward. Um, sequel's not great, but you know, you're spending time with Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn as Santa and Mrs. Claus. But- <laughs> yeah. So, so they're they're doing they're doing Hallmark movies, but with real actors, with proper actors and decent <laughs> budgets, and and yeah, yeah. I and better scripts. To be fair, yeah. and there's also that the 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 animated movie a couple of years ago, Klaus, which was very good. Um, and they, they did Jingle Jangle this year, the the musical. So they they seem to be a little Christmas studio in some ways, cranking out movies. So maybe maybe it's not maybe it's not the end the end of uh, the Christmas movies in the cinema. Maybe we just it's just bypassing cinemas for the moment, going to Netflix. Yeah, I'm I'm sure Christmas will be back at cinemas uh, in future years, definitely. A definitely, I think definitely diehards. You can't see Die Hard. Die Hard doesn't. I mean, I've watched Die Hard this year on on the small screen. 
because obviously the cinema's our cinema shut um, until New Year now, so we're going to miss out on our Christmas double bill. So I've watched it at home, and it's not the same. Not the no, same. no. You need you need that's a film you need to see on the big screen, and ideally you need to see the double bill. Yeah, I mean, so we, 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 ironically, we, we did an experiment with it at home this year. My 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 theory, my 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 wish was always to show Die Hard two first, and then end on Die Hard because we watch Die Hard double bill, and you go out on the second one, which isn't isn't as good, but it's not as good as the first one. So you end up watching the great one and then sitting through a good one, and you you leave the cinema feeling I've seen a good movie, I've not seen a great movie. So my, in my head, I was like, well, can't we just flip them and show Die Hard 2 first and then Die Hard to end? So we did that this year. And it worked for the feeling and the emotions. I came out of the double bill thinking that was amazing. But yeah, it doesn't really make much sense. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> cool. Okay, so um, I guess that wraps up Christmas. We've done it. We've nailed it. Moving on. <laughs> Let's kick on. We are going to take a hiatus from the Cinelet podcast now until the new year. Um, we will be back with various topics, eclectic range of topics. Maybe we'll do that Bob Clark one um, in the new year too. Thank you everyone who's been listening to the podcast this year. It's been a very interesting <laughs> first year for us. When we launched our podcast in February earlier on this year, there was no global pandemic. And who, who knew? Yeah, who yeah. knew? Yeah, what, what, a, what a year we've had. Um, and it has definitely changed how we've done the podcast and arguably for the better so hopefully we will continue on in the new year well, we will continue on uh, with a really good range of topics yeah cool so uh, Merry Christmas everybody and we will see you in the new year yeah Merry Christmas Merry Christmas <laughs>